All right. Hello and welcome to Three Perspectives on Anti-Zionism. This is an online webinar discussion hosted by Miko Pellad. I see we still got some folks trickling in, um, but I'm going to go ahead and get started um, with the intro and then we'll move into the discussion and uh, we'll, we'll hop into the Q&A. So I, I'm Jamil and I'll be opening up this talk as well as assisting with the Q&A portion after the panel's discussion wraps up. Um, I want to thank all of the attendees for joining us here for this webinar series that we've been doing over the past couple of months. Um, the participation and the feedback has been really, really great so far, and we're looking forward to bringing you more of these. So we're also live streaming this to Miko's Facebook page. So if you want to share this with people who didn't get a chance to register ahead of time, you can let them know to head over to MikoPeled.com or I'm sorry, facebook.com slash official, and they'll be able to live stream it from there. And also, if they can't make this event, we're going to make this available on, on YouTube and Facebook as well um, for that recording. So in addition to having, uh, you know, author and activist Miko Pellet leading the panel, we are very fortunate to have two distinguished guests with us today. I'd like to introduce them. Um, first off, we have uh, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro, Shapiro who is a rabbi emeritus uh, of a congregation in Queens, New York, who is known for his exceptional understanding of Judaism and various components of Jewish identity, and is perhaps best known for his original and outspoken stance defending the historic Orthodox position that rejects the con concept of Jewish nationalism and thus opposes Zionism. So he's also an author. Um, his book, The Empty Wagon, Zionism's Journey from Identity Crisis to Identity Theft, is a, a, a foremost read on this particular subject. Um, so we're very happy to have him with us. We also have uh, Norton Mesvinsky, who is an American historian, professor, and author. He is a distinguished university professor emeritus at the Central Connecticut State University and is the president of the International Council for Middle East Studies, an academic think tank in Washington. He has written numerous published books, articles, and book reviews that deal with various aspects of the Arab-Israeli conflict and Zionism. So that brings us to today's discussion. Um, it's going to be centered on how these three individuals came to oppose Zionism. Um, while, while all three are Jewish, each of today's guests uh, you know, came to confront Zionism from these three unique perspectives, you know, whether it be ultra-Orthodox or completely secular or something in the middle. And, and you know, the, the, they'll expand more on this, obviously. So we'll be touching on, you know, the origins of the Jewish rejection of Zionism, um, you know, nation state building in the name of Zionism, how anti-Zionist movements play out in Israel and in the West, and, um, you know, the conflation of anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism, right? Uh, so some quick housekeeping for the event before I hand it over. Uh, we're going to keep uh, the, the total event to under two hours. We're hoping the first hour will be dedicated to the discussion between these three. And then we're going to expand our Q&A a little longer this time because we're, we're expecting a really big uh, audience here. So um, hopefully we'll do 45 minutes, maybe an hour Q&A. Um, the Q&A button on the bottom of your screen is the best place to submit your questions. Um, so our event administrator, Michael, and myself will be handling uh, that. 
And there's also a chat room. Um, we ask everybody to be courteous. We ask everybody to, you know, mind your own space while you're in the chat. Uh, Michael and I will also be uh, putting in links to uh, that, that any of the panelists and Miko are, are citing. And we'll also make those links and those resource, resources and citations available in a post email after the Zoom event has concluded. So probably three or four days from now. Um, Aside from that, I think we're all good to go here. I'm going to pass it off to Miko to get this discussion started. Okay, thank you, Jamil. And thank you, Michael, for your work behind the scenes. And uh, gentlemen, Professor Mazinski, Rabbi Shapiro, it's great to have you and to have this uh, opportunity to, to chat with you about this issue. The, the, um, like Jamil was saying, we each, we each come to... Um, or we each bring a different perspective to um, anti-Zionism based on our experiences and, and, and where we come from. Um, and uh, I think that mostly when we talk about anti-Zionism, at least mostly when I, when I discuss this issue, it is always um, through the lens of Palestine and what has happened in Palestine. And that's really the perspective that I bring because that's, that's my perspective. I was born and raised there. Um, but I think it's really important, um, I thought, and many people actually thought that it would be a good idea to have this conversation among um, uh, Jewish people who have reached the conclusion that oppose Zionism because there's such a strong uh, propaganda, such a strong campaign to delegitimize anyone who is anti-Zionist by conflating anti-Zionism with, with anti-Semitism. And, you know, we've all seen that, we've all heard it, we've all confronted it. Um, and so I, I think there's, there's something very, very important about this, particularly when we realize that historically, um, opposition to Zionism was part of, of Judaism. I mean, Jewish communities, being opposition to Zionism was not anything rare, it was not anything unique. Um, in fact, the, the, in the beginning, it was, it was, it was a robust, a uh, very robust uh, sense of opposition, a very robust opposition to Zionism. Um, now, if I was to generalize, uh, I would say that um, particularly today, this is an important conversation. I mean, it's always an important conversation, but particularly today, as things are becoming, uh, seem to be becoming more and more extreme on the ground in Palestine in relations to Israel and what Israel is doing in Palestine. Um, we see some movement among liberal Zionists um, here in the United States who are beginning to question Zionism, beginning to question their loyalty and their, their sense of um, acceptance of the Jewish state, um, which is a good thing and I think it's a good, good step in the right direction. However, I feel that talking, for example, about the creation of a, dem uh, a real democracy, pluralistic democracy, instead of the Jewish state of Israel, or the so-called Jewish state, I should say, without rejecting Zionism, is a little bit like saying, yes, we believe in, in, in rights for, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter, but we oppose uh, reparations for slaves. In other words, there's an inconsistency there. If we understand that the Jewish state um, has no place, then I would think that the logical conclusion is to examine, or the logical thing to do is to examine Zionism and at least bring to question the legitimacy of Zionism and the legitimacy of the idea of the Jewish state, because Zionism is what brought it about. 
Um, so my perspective, like I said earlier, is a very is an activist perspective, both because my background is from an, a, 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 uh, a, an activist Zionist family. My grandparents were activist Zionists. They immigrated to Palestine in order to bring about the Jewish state. So whether it's in, in, in settling the land, in, uh, in the military, like my father in, and other people, um, whether it's in civil service, in the Zionist civil service, and creating the creation and establishing the Jewish state uh, from within, in education, in, in, in healthcare, and all the different aspects that eventually um, came together and, and became the Jewish state, became the state of Israel. So it was a very activist family. And, um, and of course, most of the work that I do on this issue is, is activism. I mean, I write and speak, but it's, it's mostly, it's, it's, it emanates from activism, activism uh, opposing Zionism. And um, I think that it's uh, obviously, the, there's a crossover, but generally, I think if I was to generalize again, I would say Rabbi Shapiro's perspective is, is a religious one, and, and Norton yours is a more scholarly academic one. Um, and I think the three kind of work really well together and of course there's some crossover um and i usually i i when, when we talk about zionism f for me like i said you know because i come from a, a zionist activist family um my my upbringing you know it was almost like it was almost neo-fascist because the state was everything the most important element of every every conversation um the standard was the state is it good for the state the state was everything, um, which is, of course, sounds very fascist, but that's really how it was. Everybody did what they did, not for gain, not for money, not for, I don't know, any, any other kind of ambition, but for the state. This is good for the military. This is good for the state. This is good for that aspect, whatever aspect of the state. That was the motivation to do things. Um, and I learned about Zionism, this very activist uh, expression of Zionism, uh, growing up, you know, around the dinner table, when you when you know you have a father who's a general, you have an uncle who is a president and sits in the president's mansion, and you have all these aunts and uncles and great aunts and great uncles who are ambassadors and members of the judiciary or civil service or whatever the case may be. Um, this is the conversation, and of course, the education is to love the state to love the state, to love the army, to serve the state, to serve the army, or whatever other uh, arm of the state, whatever the other, other arm of the Zionist uh, project, we can uh, lend ourselves to, based on our, you know, our talents, our ability to serve, and so forth. These were, this was really the, the most important part of the conversation. And all these people that were around me, that's what they did. They did, they dedicated their lives to that, you know, either by, immigra either by immigrating, or by you know, choosing their career based on what would be best for the state. And um, then moving forward, you know, fast forwarding several decades later, I found myself exploring deeper what really happened, what the Zionists did. And probably the two most uh, I don't know, clear examples of what Zionism created uh, are represented by the State of Israel and the JNF, the Jewish National Fund, or we say the way they call it, Israel, the Karen Kayemet. These are probably the two biggest and most influential uh, organizations, if you will. One is an NGO and one is, of course, a governmental, the state, 
um, that have impacted Zionism. And for me growing up, these are two institutions that I grew up to admire. And all the people who headed the JNF and served and worked in the JNF and all the wonderful quote unquote work that the JNF did in helping settle, uh, bring, you know, bring refugees and then settle Jews and Jewish immigration and, and turning the land into, uh, turning the desert, making the desert bloom, you know, all that mythology. And then later on, like I said, moving forward several decades, I find myself looking at this, these creations and looking at the actions of the JNF and the state of Israel. Um, and there was a sense of great discomfort at first. And that great sense of discomfort came to me as a result of my growing relations or, or part of my life where I began to develop relations uh, with Palestinians. Because I grew up in Israel. I grew up in a country where there were Arabs, but we didn't necessarily know them or, 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 or see them or have any interactions with them. Uh, we were in Israel and we were Israelis and we were the, you know, the descendants of King David and Bar Kokhba and the Maccabees and so on and so forth. And Masada, we are here because we belong here. And we didn't really think much or talk much or care much for these other people, even though they lived quite often a few blocks away or maybe half a mile or a mile away. Um, and that became more and more troubling with time because realizing and, or, or becoming aware of the Palestinian narrative forced me to question the truthfulness and, and the, 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 the moral foundation of these things that I was raised to believe in and love and serve, which are the state of Israel and Zionism. Um, now, as I sit here today and I look back at Zionism and I look back at these two creations, the JNF and the state of Israel, the only conclusion, the only thing that I can see, and again, from a very activist perspective, seeing what is still happening in the state of Israel by people who are, you know, the, the, the successors to the Zionism of my, my, my grandparents and my parents, the people who are running the state of Israel, basically, um, is that these two creations of Zionism are complicit in, in crimes that today we know actually are defined as crimes against humanity. In other words, there's very little doubt in my mind that when we look at what the state of Israel, the JNF, and generally the, the, the Zionist movement has done, it was responsible for the ethnic cleansing, the ongoing ethnic cleansing in Palestine, an ongoing genocide of the Palestinian people and the creation of an apartheid regime uh, that was imposed on Palestinians the moment the state of Israel was established. Now, these three terms, ethnic cleansing, genocide, and apartheid, are very, very serious accusations, and I don't say them lightly. But if we examine the way these crimes are defined by international law, then, and we compare them to what is happening, what the Zionist movement has done, what the State of Israel is doing, then I see the similarities are striking. I found the similarities to be striking, and that's why I use these terms. Um, and um, really, these three crimes are what is called the Nakba, the catastrophe, 
but it's not an historical event, it's an ongoing process. In other words, the Nakba, the catastrophe that befell Palestinians in Palestine began before the state of Israel was established, maybe a hundred years ago, and is an ongoing process. It's an on, these crimes are ongoing, they have never stopped. Um, so we're not talking about three historic events that happened in the past, we're talking about an ongoing and very troubling uh, and catastrophic destruction of Palestine. An additional element that I found that is destructive, and again, is the direct result of Zionism and the work that the Zionists have done, and this is something that I became aware of only in recent years, um, and eventually led me to meet Rabbi Shapiro and, 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 and engage uh, with him in some incredible conversations, um, is the destruction of Orthodox Judaism, which we know traditionally was always had strong opposition to Zionism. Um, and I was not really aware of that until that point, until recently, you know, you guys know I'm working on a book on it and I've been talking to Rabbi Shapiro extensively and other rabbis and reading a lot, including, um, this among others, uh, Rabbi Shapiro's book, which is really sums up the, 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 what Zionism is in terms of, of Jewish, uh, the differences between Jew, what Judaism is, what Zionism is. Um, and, and really the need, the Zionists need to destroy the Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox community as we know today, undermine its existence, ridicule uh, this community in every possible way, delegitimize it, and eventually secularize it or Zionize it to the point where today, um, really the only version of Orthodox Judaism that's acceptable um, is this, what they call the religious Zionism, which is the orthodoxy of the settlers in the West Bank, this very violent, very racist, again, almost neo-fascist version of, 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 of religion and, and, and nationalism, which is incredibly violent and, 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 uh, and I believe very, very dangerous. But that is really the legitimate form that has become the legitimate form of Orthodox Judaism. Um, so they're not as, they're not delegitimized, they're not ridiculed like the ultra-Orthodox in Measharim, for example, or in, in Williamsburg and so on, those communities. Um, so when I look at this picture today, coming from where I come, doing what I do, reading and knowing who I know and what I know, to me, um, rejecting Zionism is the only option from a moral standpoint, from every a political standpoint, rejecting and, and, and being active in um, doing everything I can to expose the lies, to expose what I see as the illegitimacy, the racism, um, of the state of Israel and of course the terrible crimes that are committed by the JNF in Palestine against Palestinian communities every single day to this day. Um, the JNF is an NGO so you know defunding it somehow allowing it I believe in I believe in Canada they've already revoked their not-for-profit status as a result of a, of a, of a campaign there and um, and I believe that Palestine must be transformed into a real democracy. So um, like the, some of the ultra-Orthodox um, 
uh, they have a, uh, some of the Tirakarta people have a banner that say, uh, call for the peaceful dismantlement of the state of Israel. Um, and to decolonize, in other words, recognizing not just that the state of Israel needs to be transformed into a real democracy, but to really decolonize Palestine and recognize what was done to the Palestinians by allowing the refugees to return, by uh, providing reparations, um, recognizing the spaces that were taken. And, um, and I think this brings to question, again, I reject the notion that Jews have a right to go to Palestine. Um, Israelis, because that's the next the question comes up, but what about Jews? Do Jews not have a right? The Jews do not have a right, I believe. But Israelis are like the white people in South Africa. We're the result, Israelis like myself, we are this new creation that result, we are the result of the, of, of the settler colonialism, of the Zionism that came to Palestine. And now Israelis are this new creation that is part of Palestine. So of course, um, they have a right to be there and live there. But again, as equals among equals, recognizing that we are this new creation and the indigenous Palestinian Arab people have the rights, um, have the same rights and, 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 not, and, and not in any way beneath, below, or, or undermine their rights to return and to live there in peace. Um, I think if we take all that into consideration, then we, we answer a lot of problems questions and we solve a lot of problems. Um, although it's a difficult conversation to have and it's one that raises a lot of eyebrows and when you dare say anything remotely about uh, ending the state of Israel or delegitimizing the state of Israel, you, this barrage of anti, uh, you know, accusations of anti-Semitism and so forth. But really that is the key, the decolonization, the recognizing that Zionism or, or what Zionism did and continues to do um, as a very active settler colonial movement um, is really the end or the light at the end of this tunnel that we see today, particularly again in Palestine, where there are so much, where there's so much injustice and so much violence being perpetrated against the Palestinians. So I believe that offers us a light at the end of the tunnel and a possibility for a, um, a positive end to this, uh, to this saga that's been going on for close to a hundred years. Um, so I'm going to end here and um, kind of with my little intro and my little explanation of my own anti-Zionism. And uh, Norton, you want to, uh, why don't you go ahead and pick it up from there. Nico, thank you. I'd like to start with just a personal comment. In the announcement, and then today when I was introduced, I was introduced as a middle of the rotor. Uh, I can't really think of any time in the past, especially in my adult life, that I've been so introduced as a middle of the rotor. But anyway, I'll go on from that. Now, I come from a uh, very different kind of background in a sense than uh, the background that Miko just explained. Uh, I come from the middle of Iowa. I came from a, a religious Zionist family and when I started the university in my home state, the, the University of Iowa, I had in my mind that I might, when I graduated, do my Aliyah, go to Israel to live. And then in my senior year as an undergraduate, and this was in the early to mid-1950s, not terribly long after the creation of the State of Israel, um, 
when in my junior year, they started an honors program at the University of Iowa in history. I was a history major. And so I went into the honors program and, I, and you had to write a thesis. So I, I decided to write a thesis on what I then called, or thought I would call, anti-Zionist propaganda in the United States. And I went to the library, the University of Iowa had a good library on various kinds of political religious groupings. And to my surprise, I found that of the 26 national Jewish organizations in the United States, one in the early to mid 1950s was anti-Zionist. It was called the American Council for Judaism. So I wrote a letter to the, um, what I found, who I found was the executive director of the American Council for Judaism, Rabbi Elmer Berger, and I told him I was writing this thesis. I didn't tell him the title that I had in mind, uh, Anti-Zionist Propaganda, but I asked him if he would send me material. He sent me a lot of material. I wrote the thesis. I had a chapter on the American Council for Judaism, and I tried to refute their argument. When I finished the thesis, since Rabbi Elmer Berger had been so kind as to send me a lot of information, I sent him the thesis and I asked him for comment. To my surprise, that's before computers, he sent me back a three-page, single-spaced, typed letter, and he went through each of my points, and I could tell, even as a young student, that he wrote this with, well, I'll say, soft kid gloves on. Uh, he was being very cordial, but he tore apart every one of my arguments, and he told me that when, whenever I came to New York, that he would be glad to talk with me, and he would invite me to lunch. That started a relationship for me with Rabbi Elmer Berger. I visited him in New York, and I'll just go ahead a few years. Uh, in 1967, when I had changed totally and completely, Elmer Berger was then the, he called himself the executive vice president. He was the ideologue of the American Council for Judaism, and he was recognized as a great devil by the Zionists because uh, of how well he argued the case from a reformed Jewish point of view. Well, I became then the executive director of the American Council for Judaism because I had changed so much. So let me now say that there are, there are probably three reasons, three reasons that are connected but are also separate from one another. Uh, three reasons why uh, I uh, became anti-Zion. Um, the first reason, and I'm not putting them in any order of priority, but the, but the first reason, let me sum it up by saying, well, I started to come to this long ago uh, in the 1950s, but let me um, refer to this far more recently uh, by citing the Israeli nation state law that was passed on July 19th 2018. I'll quickly just read the major provisions of that law. One, the land of Israel is the historic homeland of the Jewish people in which the state of Israel was established. Two, the state of Israel is the national home of the Jewish people 
in which it fulfills its natural, cultural, religious, and historical right to self-determination. Three, the right to exercise national self-determination in the state of Israel is unique to the Jewish people. Now, I had started to think about this. Not, I couldn't think about it in the 1950s, the state law that was written uh, in 2019, but the idea put there was the, in the more recent times was the same idea that had been put uh, far earlier. Uh, and the more I thought about that, well, the more antagonized I became because um, I was born in the United States. I'm an American citizen. Uh, my country is the United States. My homeland is the United States. And I first couldn't understand how then my national state or the state that would represent me and presume to represent me was the state of Israel and that that was my homeland. Well, uh, I then thought about that more and that became one of the reasons. The second reason, and I connect this first of all to Elmer Berger who came at Judaism from a reform point of view. Uh, uh, after that, more I came from an Orthodox background. Uh, far more recently, I've met Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro and I've read his book too. And uh, that is uh, uh, Orthodox Judaism, which is in a sense far different from Reformed Judaism, but not totally different. So anyway, what I then became concerned about was that principles of Judaism, as I understood them in a far less sophisticated manner than Rabbi Shapiro, but as I understood them, those principles were certainly not the principles of Zionism, so that was the second reason. And then the third reason, which I came to rather quickly, uh, because again, being influenced first by Rabbi Elmer Berger and then by a good many other people as I went on and studied, uh, then I was terribly impressed by, um, uh, in a negative sense of course, by the state of Israel and by the oppression of the Palestinians, uh, which Miko talked some about and which I'm sure that many of the, of the people who are uh, watching uh, us talk in this webinar know a good deal about. And so uh, that, I must say, uh, became a major point of my antagonism to the state of Israel. Now, more recently, uh, as we all know, there has been increased emphasis upon uh, annexation uh, by the state of Israel of Palestinian land, which is only one part of the oppression. Uh, and, that, but, and that annexation uh, is itself not a new Israeli political agenda uh, at, at, at all. Uh, in reality, Israel, which is often um, despised by people who oppose Israel and by some others who don't necessarily oppose Israel as an occupying power, in reality, it's not an occupying power. Israel is a country uh, where racial discrimination and apartheid, as Miko Pellad uh, has said, are not only tolerated or accepted, but in fact are legal as well. 
But then, of course, there is the terribly serious oppression, uh, additional oppression of Palestinians, uh, which um, dates back at least to the very beginning of the state in 1948, when uh, 750,000 plus Palestinians were driven out, uh, many were hurt, many were killed, and then it's continued since in terrible ways, and uh, it's actually increased in intensity. That's the third reason. That's the third reason that drove me to be antagonistic to the state of Israel. Yes, drove me to anti-Zionism, but my anti-Zionism is antagonism to the, state of, to the state of Israel and to Zionism. And I'll just repeat the three reasons that I've stated. One is um, the fact that uh, Israel presumes to be the nation state of the, of, uh, of the Jews. And since I'm a Jew, uh, it presumes to be a nation state for me. And that is simply not true. It's not my nation state. It's not my homeland at all. Um, that's reason number one. Reason number two is, as I understand Jewish values, the state of Israel uh, is not a state that abides by and follows Jewish values quite the opposite. And then, of course, there is the terrible oppression of the Palestinians, uh, which um, has gone on from at least the beginning of the state in 1948 up to and through today. And so it's an oppressive apartheid state. Those are the three reasons why I've come to be an anti-Zionist. Thank you. Excellent. Okay, Rabbi Shapiro. Thank you, Miko and Professor Masvinsky, especially for the kind words about my book. You are very kind. I come from a completely different perspective. I never really came to oppose Zionism. Zionism came to oppose me. To ask an Orthodox Jew why he opposes Zionism is kind of asking an Orthodox Jew like why he opposes the Ku Klux Klan. Imagine asking North of the, when did you start to, how did you come to oppose the Ku Klux Klan? Well, Zionism was invented not to colonize Palestine. In fact, there were Zionists uh, historically that said they don't want a state. Achad Ha'am was one of the major founders of Zionism, said he could live without a state. There were those who said, uh, Israel Zangville wrote in an article in the over a hundred years ago, better to have Zionism without Zion than to have Zion without Zionism, meaning Zionism is an ideology. It's an ideology. Um, it's a different version of Jewish identity. It's a new synthesized idea of what a Jew should be, of what a Jew is, of what a human being should be. It's a different idea of what a human being should be. Zionism, you could call it, it's a religion, a civic religion, a religion without God. What happened was the Zionists originally did not like being Jews. It's very simple. They did not like being Jews. So they tried assimilation. It didn't work because they were persecuted by the anti-Semites. So they kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. The, they, they, couldn't, they didn't want to be Jews because Jews, no joke, they said Jews were disgusting, immoral, 
sick, ugly people. That's a quote. This is Jabotinsky. This is Herzl. You know, I, if Herzl would be alive today, we'd be able to dox him, to be able to go um, find the quotes that he said on Twitter, on the internet, and, and uh, disqualify him and, and brand him as an anti-Semite. Disgusting things about how he met a bunch of Jews by a party and they had dripping long noses. This is what he wrote in a letter to somebody. He, he really despised you. Jabotinsky said that, that, that what he wants to become is the opposite of a Jew. Whatever a Jew is, just imagine what a Jew is. They ask him what a Zionist is. says, I don't know what a Zionist is, but I know what a Jew is. And take every characteristic of a Jew and imagine the opposite. That's going to be a Zionist. Jews are ugly. Zionists are going to be handsome. Jews are scared. Zionists are going to be uh, fearless. Jews are disgusting. Zionists are going to be charming. They just, and they, they got together and figured out a way to change Jewish identity so that the anti-Semites will accept them and they wouldn't have to be, because they had no choice. They couldn't not be Jews because even when they tried, they were persecuted as Jews by the anti-Semites. 1881 in Russia, the program started. So they, they had to figure out a way to be Jews, but to be non-Jews at the same time. And they had different ideas. Herzl's idea of what a Zionist is is not what we have in Israel today. He didn't even want them to speak Hebrew. He had an idea, another Switzerland. And Herzl said that he's certain, of course, once the Jews change their character and become more like their persecutors, like the anti-Semites, which is basically what he wanted, the last paragraph, the climax of his book, The Jewish State, says that as soon as Zionism gets off the ground, anti-Semitism will end. Because the reason why Jews are hated by anti-Semites is because they are like the Orthodox Jews. Their business uh, practices and the business profile, you know, being middlemen, their personalities, everything is disgusting about them. And once we become Zionists, everybody's going to love us. Didn't work out too well for him. There were other Zionists that said, no, when we create this new creation, see, Zionism wanted to create a new Jew. It's literally creating a synthetic human being, a synthetic identity from scratch. Imagine you're making a Frankenstein monster in a laboratory, and you're thinking, what personality should we instill in this new synthetic person? And different Zionists had different ideas. Chad uh, Ben-Gurion, they, they wanted it to be like an ancient biblical poet and philosopher and, and a cultural thing. Uh, Herzl wanted it just to be just be a Swiss, a Swiss Gentile. Be a Christian. Um, Jabotinsky, who, by the way, Netanyahu considers himself a disciple of, um, said, look, just learn to shoot. Just be like, he was very fascist influenced. Just learn to shoot. Just be stronger than everybody else. Make sure you're stronger than the Palestinians because they're not going to agree to any deal that we're going to have with them. So whoever's stronger is going to win. Just get your guns. That's it. That's what Jabotinsky said. I don't care what a Jew is. Just learn to shoot. That's it. And they, they had this, this basic, it was an attack on Judaism. That's why I call it identity theft. The Zionists started with an identity crisis because they didn't know what, they didn't want to be Jews and they couldn't be non-Jews. And so they decided to, uh, in order A, to get the support of the evangelical Christians, who had Zionism since the late 1500s, early 1600s, and to get the support of the Jews, 
they're going to steal the identity of the Jews. Now, if you want to create a new identity for yourself, you have two choices. You can either just make believe you're somebody else, but that's not so easy because people are going to ask, where did you come from? Where were you born? Who are you? And a better way is to murder somebody who's about your age, take their birth certificate, take their, their identity, and now you're them. And that's what the Zionists decided to do to Jewish identity. Murder it, kill it. It's wrong. It doesn't exist. We're going to create a new identity. And the, th most, the th most important thing about Zionism to know is that it's, it's all synthetic. Th their history is a fake. Ben-Gurion hired a man by the name of ben Sion Diner to create a nationalist history based on Gretz. The whole thing is political propaganda. It's not real history. The whole history of the Jews that's taught in the secular Israeli schools is mythology. I'll give you an example. Miko mentioned, Miko mentioned how they, they came to, how the Zionists wanted to destroy Orthodox Judaism. At the same time, Miko mentioned how they're taught that they are the, the descendants of Bar Kochba. Bar Kochba was not a hero in Jewish history. He was responsible for the greatest Jewish disaster second to the Holocaust. He made a rebellion against Rome, and we, which was put down. In we Orthodox Jews refer to him, Bar Kochba, as Bar Kaziva, meaning the big fraud. But the Zionists made him into a hero. The people at Masada were not heroes. Do you know who they were? They were what we call Sikari. They were knife killers. They were people, they were thugs who were thrown out of Jerusalem by the Jews. They hold themselves up in the Masada fortress. And they actually, do you know how they, how they supported themselves up there? There were no grocery stores. Josephus writes, they went down to Ein Gedi, which is right near Masada. They butchered 700 Jews, men, women, and children, stole their supplies. These are the type of people they were. To the Zionists, two guys, Yigal Yad and Shmar Yohu Gutman, they made them into heroes. Their entire history is false. Their entire politics is false. Even their names are false. The Israeli names are not Jewish names. The, the Ben-Gurion had a rule that people over a certain rank in the army and people working for the government have to change their names to Hebrew-sounding names. Miko will tell you that Pellet isn't the real name. Miko, what was the real name? Iflan. Iflan, okay. Ben-Gurion's name, ben name was Green. Um, Netanyahu is really Malakovsky. Um, they are not real names. Everything about them is fake. And uh, they have this whole biosphere that they created. I call it the Ziosphere, where they have an entire fantasy universe of who they are, where they came from, what what's good for them, what their interests are. And, and this is all based on an ideology called Zionism, which, which started off as something to help them against anti-Semitism or against really against being Jews, against the terrible Jewish personality uh, in their perception. And what happened was, like many ideologies, Zionism took over their own psyches. They start, it's like creating a monster. And now Zionism, they exist to serve Zionism. The thing to know about Zionism is that it's, a, it's an ideology. It's not merely a political position. It's not merely a narcissistic um, uh, uh, politics. 
It's an ideology like a religion, and it is not good for anybody in the world. Not, not the Jews, not the non-Jews, and it's not even good for the Zionists. The Zionists regularly do things that endanger themselves, that are against their own interests because of the ideology of Zionism. Two examples. Example number one is what Norton mentioned, the nation-state law, but example number two is making Jerusalem their capital. They gained nothing by it. They lost political goodwill all over the world. They, they uh, engendered more hostility from many countries, and especially the Palestinians. They gained nothing, but in the ideology of Zionism, Jerusalem has to be the capital of the Jews. Zionism is bad for everybody in the world. And honestly, as far as I'm concerned, I agree with Norton. I have, it's, I am against Zionism, not because as a Jew, I feel an obligation to fight against uh, my government or my state that's doing bad things. No, Israel is not my state. To me, it's like China. And the fight between Israel and the Palestinians is as relevant to me personally as the fight between Russia and the Ukraine or between India and Kashmir. I have nothing to do with it. Nothing. Except for the fact that they're doing it in my name. So I tell people, hey, listen, if the Indians uh, would speak in my name, I wouldn't go involving myself in their politics. I would say, no, they're, they're, they're stupid. They're not, they're not the Jews. Israel is not the Jews. And I believe that the best thing for everybody involved, including the Middle East conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, the best thing would be is not merely if uh, they could make peace. That, that, that probably won't last, never did. The best thing could be for the conflict is to eliminate this false Jewish element of the conflict. Israel should stop calling itself the Jewish state. It should, uh, we should reframe the entire conflict as a political conflict between Israel and Palestinians. It has nothing to do with Jews. It has nothing to do with Muslims. It is a politi political conflict. And any connection, Zionism in its most basic form is a connection between all the Jewish people and some country in the Middle East. Israel is different than all the countries in the world and different than every country that ever existed. All the countries in the world are the countries of their citizens. Germany is to the Germans what Japan is to the Japanese. Israel is to the Israelis. But Israel doesn't believe it's the country of its citizens. It believes it's the country of the Jews. There is no Israeli nationality. There's a Supreme Court case in Israel. If you are Jewish, your nationality in Israel is not Israeli. Your nationality is Jewish. And this means two things. Thing number one, if Israel is the country of the Jews and not the Israelis, it is the country of the Jews and not the Israelis who are not Jews. And B, it's the country of the Jews who are not Israelis. The more Israel is connected to the Jews outside of Israel, the more it gets lodged in the consciousness of everybody in the world that Israel is the country of the Jews and not all its citizens. And two more things I want to mention, and that'll be it. Thing number one, they were they, both uh, Miko and Norton mentioned the propaganda. 
the propaganda is much worse than people think. I've studied Zionism from when I was in grade school, intensely. All of it, from beginning to end. Their history, their ideology from a Jewish perspective, from a historical perspective. The propaganda is incredible. I'll give you an example. You're all subject to it. You walk into a department store in December, Macy's. You'll see the Christmas displays and the Hanukkah displays. The Christmas displays are always green, red, and gold, right? What color are always, invariably, the Hanukkah displays? They're always blue and white. There is no connection between blue and white and the holiday of Hanukkah at all. That is merely the Israeli flag. That is a a, um, subliminal way of teaching everybody that Jewishness, Judaism, Hanukkah, the Maccabees have something to do with Israel. The propaganda is amazing. It's all over. It's subliminal. It exists on all levels. What we need to do is to, to free our minds of the connection between Israel and Jews. Israel needs to become a normal country, the country of its citizens, the country of Israelis. Any connection between Israel and Jews, that's the real problem over here. Everybody's busy fighting Israel about all, all the things that they do, their behavior, and, and, and let them. But that's like, you know, the story of the Wizard of Oz where this big wizard and everything. Everybody's busy fighting the smoke and mirrors. What we need to do is to just open the curtain and expose Zionism for the, for the, for the falsehood that it is. The Zionists have nothing to do with the Jews. They're just a random country. Their ideology says they have something to do with the Jews. Their religion does, and that needs to go. The second thing, I, I noticed a question I think it's important for me to answer was asked by uh, David Mandel. Uh, Miko mentioned that uh, ultra-Orthodoxy is against Zionism. It is. He had asked something that the Zionists use as propaganda. He mentioned that there are many uh, ultra-Orthodox Jews who, have, uh, who currently... Uh, take part in the Israeli government, and they accept financial assistance in exchange for political support. This is true. There are many ultra-Orthodox Jews who oppose doing that, but the reason why those who are in the government are there are not because they have made peace with Zionism. They are there for the same reason that the Arabs are in the Israeli government. They are there in order to protect themselves from the Zionists. The Zionists... When they, offer fi- when they accept financial support in return for political support, they'll, they'll accept financial support, but in return for one thing, that the Zionists should not destroy Judaism. For example, just recently, like the last couple of days, the, the religious parties threatened to bring down the government over what? Not over settlements, not over any political issue. They threatened to bring down the government if Israel gives rabbinic training to women which is against ultra-Orthodoxy. They don't care about the political issues. They're there to protect ultra-Orthodoxy. For example, by way of analogy, don't, don't, nobody should accuse me of a comparison. If, let's say, during Nazi Germany, there would be some, Jewish, some in the Jewish community who would say, let's join the German parliament so that we could protect ourselves against the Nazis to have a vote. That's exactly what's happening here. And as far as taking the financial support, that's a game. I don't know if anybody here has ever gone fishing But you go fishing, you put a worm on a hook, and you put the hook in the water. Now, the fish looks at the hook, and the fish, a lot of times, steals the bait and leaves you with the hook, right? There's a game being played, a cat-and-mouse game, between the Israelis and the ultra-Orthodox, those who are in the government. Israel says, we'll give you money. 
thinking that that'll be bribery, that they'll make the Jews, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, dependent on them. The ultra-Orthodox Jew says, we'll take the bait, but we're not going to get hooked. We'll take your money. But we have nothing to do with Zionism. Look, Israel takes money from the evangelicals. That doesn't mean they made peace with Christianity. The Jews, the ultra-Orthodox Jews taking money from the government is the same as the Israelis taking money from the evangelicals. You want to give us money. Now, I actually am opposed to them taking money. But in uh, the position of those that do say, look, you want to give us money, you lunatics, you think you're going to buy us? We'll take your money. We'll take the bait. But we're not going to support you politically. The only thing we're going to do in the Knesset is make sure that you don't harm our religion. I don't care what you do politically, but when you start up with our religion, you try to draft the yeshiva boys, you try to in invade our curriculum with your studies, or you try to, the, recent, the most recent thing seems petty, right? A small thing to give training, rabbinic training to women. It's against ultra-orthodoxy. We will bring down the government if you do that. And that's why they're there. Not because they made peace with Zionism, but in order to fight Zionism. When somebody takes, when terrorists take people hostage, there are two approaches to take. You can either negotiate with the terrorists, pay ransom, or you can come in with guns blazing. Amongst the ultra-Orthodox Jews, there's a disagreement whether to come in with guns blazing against the Zionists or to negotiate, pay some ransom, and make deals with them. The reason why the people who are in the government are there are not because they've made peace with Zionism. They would be very offended if you were to say that. But rather, they believe that negotiation with the Zionist terrorists who terrorize Judaism, and negotiation, paying some um, ransom, dealing with them is a more effective approach than coming in with guns blazing. That's it. You know, you've, you've, uh, you've touched on something, uh, well, a lot of things, but um, the, the creation of the new Jew is something that is very much pronounced in Israel. In other words, as a secular Israeli growing up, like myself, for example, then um, you, there are two populations that you hate, the Arabs and the Orthodox Jews. And it's very clear, it's very pronounced. To be a good Jew, a real Jew, you need to look like me and talk like me. All these others, they're either primitive or they're backward or they're weird. And the only framework in which Orthodoxy, Jewish Orthodoxy is accepted is uh, this, this, this uh, new creation of, of Zionist uh, orthodoxy, Zion, you know, the settler types, the Rabbi Cook, uh, B'nai Akiva, that kind of, that stream, and, and whatever, whatever, you know, orthodox Jews decided to become Zionist. That is the only one, and the hatred is, is severe. In other words, the things that you describe, and to most people, and I'm reading some of the chats, you know, it's shocking that Zionists would talk uh, and describe Jews in such an anti-Semitic way. But I, I, I remember hearing it all the time. There's nothing surprising to that because growing up in Israel, that's, what you, that's how you look at them and all kinds of derogatory terms that you use to describe them. But Norton, I wanted to ask you, growing up as an Orthodox Jew and then gradually moving away from Orthodoxy as you did, did you experience that? I mean, did you see that in America as well, this um, growing disdain and hate and, and really almost anti-Semitic uh, attitudes towards Orthodox Jews from Jews, coming from Jews who, who were no longer Orthodox? Well, let me start off by saying that um, um, I have a very good friend whom Yaakov Shapiro knows, uh, who has always referred to me as um, 
an unorthodox Orthodox Jew. Now, I'm not an Orthodox Jew, per se, but I am un unorthodox. But that brings me to my answer. Um, as I have observed, and I have indeed observed, Orthodox Jews in the United States, that's what you're talking about, yes. uh, I would say that there are very many different kinds of Orthodox Jews or of people who call themselves Orthodox Jews. I'll turn this over to Rabbi Shapiro in a minute to comment upon, but there are many different types. I would say, though, that the uh, dislike, actually, as you put it, hatred of Orthodox Jews uh, that you describe with, 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 with within Israel, my experience is that, indeed, I have encountered some of that among Jews in the United States who are not Orthodox, but I haven't discovered that in a very broad sense at all. In other words, I don't think that that, that kind of hatred is, is widespread in the United States among Jews who are secular Jews or non-Orthodox Jews, hatred towards the Orthodox. I don't think that's a, that's a, uh, a general phenomenon at all. I think that what is far more general is something the opposite of that, a difference, but not a hatred. I see. Because, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, in, in, in Israeli society and, and even, you know, in, in secular Israeli families, the hatred, to, to, hate the, to, to hate the Jews, to hate the Orthodox is, is, is something that's respected, you know, something that you, bra that you, that you brag about, you know. It's really but it might be good to have Rabbi Shapiro say something about this. Sure. Please. I don't really think that secular Jews hate Orthodox Jews, except for two groups. One, there are the, a certain type of liberal or progressive, I'm not sure exactly what you call them, and I don't want to offend the wrong party. I only want to offend the right party, the ones who I mean. I'm not sure exactly uh, how, to, how to label them. The ones that believe that Orthodox Jews are um, misogynistic and homophobic and primitive, all, all of these things. And um, me and Norton know at least one of those, right? Uh, they're really, like, really anti-Semitic against Orthodox Jews. And so I'm not sure exactly what type of liberal they're, they're called, or even if they have all one label, but there is definitely a type like that. In fact, um, there are very many um, secular anti-Zionist Jews that will not allow Orthodox Jews into their groups because Orthodox Jews are, we're not letting them in. They're, especially the intersectionality thing, you know? They're so if we oppress, we oppress our wives, we oppress our children, genital mutilation we practice and all of these things. So we're just as bad as the, you know, terrorist uh, suicide bombers. They're, they're, there's that group who's just completely ignorant of, of, of Judaism, of the way our lives run. and. Um, Second, actually, between me and my wife, uh, she's not oppressed, trust me. Secondly, there are the Zionists. The Zionists hate the anti-Zionist Orthodox Jews. We are traitors to the Jewish people. We are, because, you see, in Zionism today, 
as much as Zionism claims to be connected to Judaism, you can be an atheist, deny God, it's not a problem. You're a good Jew if you're a Zionist. You could not keep any of the, the, the Torah, and you're still a good Jew. But if you don't appreciate Israel, then that is the cardinal sin. Zionism has replaced Judaism in terms of what's important to Jews. And that's exactly what they wanted to do. Uh, aside from that, the secular Jews, no, no, they're cool. You're cool. Norton's cool. I have no problem with them. They have no problem with me. You know, it's just those two groups. There's these groups of liberals that, that look at me like uh, that, that, I'm, that I'm a suicide bomber because I'm orthodox. And then there's the Zionists, the Zionists who, who, who literally many of them would love to kill me. And I know that because they say so. But I have an addendum to that, and my addendum is that there are many Zionists in this country and many Zionist organizations who also um, refer to Jews who are not Orthodox, but Jews who are anti-Zionist, and they refer to those Jews in the most negative ways, calling them anti-Semitic. Sure. Mean, I'm an example of that. Sure, and, and Orthodox Jews, look at this. Uh, aside from everything I said, I didn't even mention like religious reasons to be against Israel. The, the existence of Israel is against Judaic law. We're not allowed to have a state. But, but a, even those Jews, th there was a, you know, Deborah Lipstadt, who considers herself a big expert on, on anti-Semitism, self-anointed, self-appointed. I, I was listening to a podcast that she did with Peter Beinert, right, who today is being accused of anti-Semitism, ironically. Um, he asked her, uh, she said, anyone who's against Israel is an anti-Semite, so it, it, it's existence. And he, she, he asked her, what about the Orthodox Jews who are against Israel's existence on religious grounds? So she said, the jury's out on that. Whether I'm an anti-Semite, the jury's are out on that, okay? I uh, said, maybe they're an exception, maybe not, whatever, but the jury's out on that. So this is nuts. Who's this is the, like, they literally the, hijacked Jewish identity. They're crazy. He might say that about anti-Zionist Jews in the United States who are not Orthodox as well. Yes, they may. But I'm talking about somebody who even politically may not even be against Israel's politics, may, may not be involved. They say, look, I am not involved with Israel's politics. All I know is one thing. I'm a religious Jew. According to Judaism, we're supposed to live all over the world, and we're not a nationality. We're not supposed to have a state. That's all. It has nothing to do with politics or, or Palestinians or anything. Even for that alone, the jury is out whether you're an anti-Semite. So, gentlemen, you know, it's, it's, um, we, we, uh, I think what we're facing is this massive propaganda, which, Norton, you're talking about, which, 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 which goes out to delegitimize non-Orthodox Jews who are anti-Zionist and the Orthodox Jews who are anti-Zionist or anybody that does not really follow the narrative, the right narrative, which is the Zionist narrative, which goes directly from you know, King David to the Maccabees, to Bar Kokhba, to uh, Ben-Gurion, to today. You know, that is the narrative. That is the, that's, that's, the, that's what we should be following. And anybody who dares to question that or dares to question that legitimacy presents a problem and therefore needs to be destroyed. And, and they know very, very well that the narrative is everything. For them, the narrative is the Holy Grail. If, if they lose the, the fight for the narrative, then they lose their legitimacy. And as long as they can have the, 
the uh, evangelicals who believe, you know, uh, that story, who accept that story. And we did a couple of panels uh, about about the Zionist groups intervening and in in, um, in social studies programs in the curriculum and textbooks to make sure that that is the narrative that kids in public schools in America are studying. And they, you know, they've been, they invest millions of dollars and they've got entire organizations dedicated to that um, because that is the only thing they've got. When people stop believing the narrative, then it's a slippery slope. And then of course there's no legitimacy. And if there's no legitimacy, then that's the end of that story. And of course we know that there's no legitimacy because how could there possibly be a legitimacy to calling yourself Jewish when you actually do everything you possibly can to undermine real Jewish identity or the Jewish identity as is described by Orthodox Jews, number one. And at the same time, reject Jews who are not Orthodox, but reject Zionism. So, I mean, they, they have, and they've really perfected it. I mean, they've been doing this for a very long time and they're very good at it. And so far, I mean, there's some dents being made in their argument, but by and large, they are still the, the, the prevailing narrative. Now, I, I, think, I think the reason why they're the prevailing narrative is because people are very, very focused on their behavior. Um, how they're oppressing uh, Palestinians or whether they are bombing Gaza and things like that. And what, what's, what's emerging is that they're treating it like, okay, it's a state. It claims to be the Jewish state. It, it's not acting Jewish, and that's the problem. But here's a question for, for the anti-Zionist Jews out there. Let's assume Israel would stop all the behavior that you oppose, they would uh, adopt what you consider Jewish values, uh, I know which is Tzedek, Tzedek Tirdov, uh, uh, just pursuing justice and uh, light to the nations and all of that, okay? Maybe the Palestinians get their own state. Uh, uh, everybody's happy. That, that's the, everybody's happy. Are you, would you then accept Israel as a model of a state of the Jews, as a, a Jewish state? If the answer is yes, you're not opposing Zionism. Zionism says two things. One, the Jews are a nationality, and two, Israel is their state. As long as you accept, under any circumstances, that there is such a thing as a Jewish state, meaning I'm an American, like Norm said, I am an American. My family was from Poland. I have nothing to do with some random country in the Middle East. I have no more to do with Israel than I do with Lebanon. And by the way, according to Judaism, the southern part of Lebanon is considered the Holy Land, is considered Eretz Yisrael, and part of Israel, the southern part, a lot, is not. But I have nothing to do with some political regime in the Middle East that was created in 1948. If anybody connects me to them, even if they're the best behaved country in the world, that's Zionism. And that's their narrative. And everything else follows from that, because right. you cannot have that kind of an entity and then expect it to do anything different than what it's doing. I think, I think Zionism, there's no other way for Zionism to end up other than what we see today. But uh, I'm looking at the clock and uh, I think maybe we can open it up to, uh, to the Q&A, let, uh, let some of our listeners participate. So Jamil, do you want to hop in and um, hop back in and, uh, and moderate that? Yeah, sure thing. We've got a lot of questions in here. And I see some questions in the chat. I don't know if you want to include There's them. a lot of questions in the chat. We're trying to direct those questions into right. the Q&A so that they're all structured. And, and I think majority of people have um, inserted their questions into the Q&A. So we've got, you know, we've got almost 20 in here. So 
Um, okay, here we go. Here's a, a uh, this question is anonymous from anonymous. Um, question to all the panelists. Almost all anti-Zionist Jewish Israelis I know of became anti-Zionists only after they lived outside Israel for a while, met Palestinians, and had a chance to reflect on the situation from the outside. How do you think the re-education of Zionist Jews inside Israel can be accomplished? Well, I'll answer that because I'm, I'm I'm one of the culprits. Uh, I'm you know I fit that I fit I precisely fit that uh, that uh, you know category. Um, there are I have to say Israelis who are anti-Zionist who who remained who did never left uh, and they had either an anti-Zionist upbringing at home or they realized the things that many of us realized after we left um, while living there and being active. But that is not um, I'll put it this way, even, even go, you know, the transformation from being a Zionist to being an anti-Zionist, even if you live outside, even if you live overseas, is not an easy one. Um, for me personally, it was, it was like, you know, cutting off an arm without anesthesia. I mean, it was cutting off something that I was raised to believe in and love and adore and serve, you know what I mean? So it's not an easy thing to do. The way you... And, and, I, and I wouldn't really have a lot of expectations for, uh, you know, anybody within Israeli society to make that transformation until Zionism collapses. The day after Zionism collapses, uh, there's a real democracy with equal rights. It's no longer the so-called Jewish state. It's not the state of Israel. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a free Palestine, a decolonized Palestine, where Israelis realize they cannot live with privilege anymore where they realize it's not a Jewish state or a Jewish homeland, it's a state of the people, like Rabbi Shapiro was saying, who live there, of the residents, of the people who are actually there, then there will be a transformation. Then people will wake up in the morning, they'll see the, the, the sky hasn't fallen, they'll send their kids to school in the morning, they'll have to go to work, their prime minister may be a Palestinian, a Muslim, a Christian, their teacher, the kids' teachers might be whoever they are, and again, the sky won't fall and they're going to be fine. And that's when the transformation happens. I, you know, if you talk to people in South Africa today, even older people, you're not going to find anybody who ever supported apartheid. Everybody loved Nelson Mandela, you know. Uh, I think the same thing happened in a lot of uh, countries where there was anti-Semitism. Now everybody, you always love Jews. You know, there's a transformation and people forget the past and they want to move on. I don't think it can happen in Israel uh, within the state of Israel until that happens. And even on the outside, it's not, it, it, it all depends on, on what you're willing to expose yourself. I mean, I embarked on a journey by design into Palestine. And some of the journey was actually done in America and, you know, not in Palestine itself, but into Palestine. And that's how I, you know, I, I went through this process. So that, that, that's my take on it. Nico, in regard to your answer, I have a question for you though. Yeah. You talk about the transformation, which I also favor fully. That uh, Israel should, that this state, whether it's called Israel or Palestine or whatever, should become a democratic state. But my question is this, and it's a question that comes from statements that are made all the time that you know very, very well. The statement is that Israeli Jews, a majority, a great majority of them, are not going to accept this kind of transformation because presently there are at least, at least, as many Palestinians 
in what is the state of Israel as Israeli Jews, maybe even a few more, and the Palestinian birth rate is still greater, and so if it becomes a democratic state where, where the people there uh, 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 are, are going to be able to vote, that then not only will there not be a Zionist state anymore, but then Jews will be oppressed, and that means that maybe before they're oppressed, many will leave. So what do you say about the people who make that kind of argument that uh, that is why the transformation is should not come and probably will not come for a long time? That's not my argument. But. Well, I agree that Israelis are not going to agree to this. I don't think this is going to happen as a result of Israelis agreeing to it. I think it's going to be as a result of, of Israelis have no choice. If we waited for whites in South Africa to wake up one morning feeling good and agreeing to end apartheid, Nelson Mandela would have died in prison, not as president, not as the former president of South Africa. This is going to happen as a result of, of, of applying pressure of adopting uh, boycott, divestment, and sanctions, isolation, kicking Israel out of the Olympics and the World Cup, and so you know, cultural and academic uh, in, uh, institutions, and so on and so forth. This is going. This is part of a larger campaign. That is how this is going to happen. When Zionists are on their knees and have nowhere to turn, that's when uh, the apartheid regime in Palestine will will collapse, just like it did in South Africa. It's not going to happen as a result of of. Israelis agreeing one day. Of course they're not. Now, in terms of the population between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean, which is really all of the state of Israel, even though parts of it, it doesn't, it pretends like it doesn't control, um, there is already a Palestinian majority. Out of 12 million people or 12 and a half million people, over 7 million are Palestinians. So there's already a Palestinian majority and it's going to grow. But I don't know why that is of any concern. So there's a Palestinian majority. So what? I mean, I, I don't know why that is a problem. Uh, Jews, uh, and if anybody doesn't like to live in a country where there's an Arab majority or a non-Jewish majority, well, where are they going to go? I mean, that's the way it is. You want to go somewhere else and find, live on the moon, that's maybe not, you know, you got to go, that's not an option. In Palestine, there are Palestinian Arabs and they are the majority, but that's the reality. There's, I don't, I don't, I don't, and again, I don't know why that is a problem, but that is a majority. The Jews are not going to remain, they're not a majority. The only reason is Jews were a majority in particular borders within the state of Israel up to a certain point was because Israel did this, you know, artificial, artificial design of the population. So Israel only counts the Palestinians that have Israeli citizenship, which live in a particular part of Palestine, but it counts the Israeli Jews that live all over Palestine. And that allows them to say that within the state of Israel, there's a Jewish majority. But if we take the entire country that Israel controls, which is all of historic Palestine, then there hasn't been a Jewish majority in a very, very long time. And the whole idea of a Jewish majority is, is, is racist and absurd. I mean, I don't, you know, so these are all, these are types of arguments that are made, I think, not because there's, there's any legitimacy to the argument, but because they want to prove a point that, you know, if Jews don't do what they do today, in other words, if Israel, not Jews, excuse me, but if the state of Israel doesn't act in the violent, racist manner that it does, if it doesn't pass that law that you mentioned, Norton, the, the nation-state law, then uh, it will be destroyed. Well, when they say that, now they're saying destroys, destruction, 
Holocaust, and that's what they're trying to get at, that they have no choice because of the Holocaust. Well, we know that's not true, that none of that is true. The answer to the Holocaust is not the state of Israel. Racism and violence does not justify more racism and violence. Um, but that's really what they're trying to create. They're trying to tag on to that other narrative, which is a false narrative. The reality is that, you know, if people don't want to live among Arabs, they shouldn't be living in Palestine. They should be living, go back to Europe or where, come to America or something. I don't disagree with that, but it's not just living among even a majority of Arabs. It's living in the kind of state that we're, that we're advocating here, a democratic state where we'll say uh, all of the people who uh, uh, are residents and have been the indigenous population will also be able to vote. The question is not even a majority, because we know that Israel has, you know this very well, better than the rest of us, that Israel has been able to control Palestinians by, uh, by not giving the majority of Palestinians the vote. They give 1.6 or 1.7 million the vote, but that's not even a full vote. But the rest of them, they control. And the worry then, is the worry that a good many Israeli Jews have that you know well is that if all of the Palestinians now in a, even in a majority have the vote then they are really in trouble we don't agree with that necessarily but right. but that is that still is would you not say a major concern it is a concern I, whether it's sincere or not i don't know but it is a concern and of course and if we talk about the right of return we're talking about the right of at least five million Palestinians to return, a legitimate right to return to their lands and to their homes and to be compensated and paid reparations and, 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 and so forth. And yes, Israeli Jews are gonna to have to pay for that. I mean, if you live in somebody's house or you use somebody's house as a boutique hotel for all these years and you never paid rent and they come back, you obviously you owe them something. So yeah, but look, but the thing is this, I think people are forgetting, number one, it's not a question of reversing the roles. People pretend like, okay, now we control them because if they controlled us, oh my God, they're going to kill us all. That's not what is being discussed. That's not what's being proposed by anybody. What was being proposed and was being suggested, and I think what any level-headed people uh, understand, um, is that we're talking about establishing a democracy, establishing the tools of a democracy, um, establishing a constitution that defines who has rights and what kind of rights they have and, and guaranteeing and protecting the rights. I mean, there are a lot of mi minorities within this uh, mosaic that is Palestine and has always been a mosaic. And in other words, Palestine has always been a mosaic, uh, ethnically, religiously, and so forth. You have to define and, and, and guarantee and protect every, everybody's rights. And you do that within a constitution. I'll give you another example. Um, you know, the entire country is a single voting district, which is how they manipulate the votes, and that's how they can do what you, you said that they do with the votes. Well, if this is a real democracy, in a real democracy, you have to create voting districts. Well, you have a voting district. In order to create a voting district that is purely Arab, purely Palestinian Arab, or purely Israeli, you'd have to sit there and really, really, you know, I mean, sit there. It's an, it would be an impossible. You'd have to create voting districts where they are mixed. So if I'm an, Israel, I'm an Israeli and I have a Palestinian friend and we both have to vote, are we going to vote along ethnic lines or are we going to vote for the person that offers us lower taxes, better schools and better roads? You know what I mean? That's in the end, at the end of the day, if you create the tools for, for, for democracy, then you solve all of these problems. 
not well, maybe not solve all their problems, but you create a foundation where you can deal with these problems if they come up. Is it going to be, is a single democracy going to solve all the problems? No, a single democracy is the platform upon which we build a future that will solve the problems. You know, none of the problems can be solved right now because there is no democracy because of the reality in Palestine as it is today. Once we do have a non, a post-Zionist Palestine, a decolonized Palestine, we can start dealing with these issues because now the people will have a vote, people will have a voice. So it's a, you know, there's, there's gonna be problems, there are gonna be issues, of course, but that's the way to do it. This is the only, this is the only, this is the only way to do it. Ready for question two? Yes. Yeah. This one is from Ari. The question is, how do European implants consider themselves Semites? And what about the irony that people defend Semites as Jews, but not the Arabs that came before them? I'm just going to say real quick, I'll let you guys answer this, but I'm looking at the three of us, and I'm looking at Jamil, and who of us, who among us looks like they're Semite? Like they're from a Semitic region, you know what I mean? I mean, we're like, we're these European, white Europeans. I don't think there's a Semitic gene in our gene pool. And we're the ones to talk about anti-Semitism. I just thought that was funny. But go ahead, gentlemen, please. Yeah, see, words change. Uh, the word anti-Semite today is used in regard to Jews, even though the original... Um, word Semite means people of Semitic origin. And by the way, the reason why it was applied to Jews in the late 19th century was in order to change the Jews into a racial category. They wanted the Jews, this is, it was an anti-Semitic thing to call the Jews Semites because they wanted to perceive the, Jew, the Jews to be perceived as a specific race, which later uh, developed into Nazi racial uh, doctrine and anti-Semitism. So the short answer is that's how the word is used today. Nobody claims to be a Semite. They claim the word Semite changed. And technically, the reason why it was applied to Jews is actually for anti-Judaic reasons. I used to make the argument, something like that, that, well, um, uh, Semites and Semitism includes more than Jews when I would talk some about anti-Semitism. And then one day in an audience, uh, some years ago, a young lady stood up and said, look up in the dictionary, the definition of anti-Semitism. And yes. if you look it up, then it is exactly what Rabbi Shapiro said it is. Right, you see, I, I, I'm not, this, there are a lot of people who are anti-Semites. I'm an anti-Semantic. This is just semantics. What are you going to use the word Semite for? We're talking about people who hate Jews. Call them whatever you want. Yeah, of course. But because it's being, it became politicized, and they even, not only did the term anti-Semite you know, anti become politicized to include anybody who does not follow the Zionist narrative, but now they actually changed the, the, the definition of what anti-Semitism is. They created a new definition, which includes um, what we do. So in other words, now all of us are anti-Semitic as well because we do not fall under that. So because they politicized it, this question comes up to say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? You're not even Semitic. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, people don't I, even I, listen. I, I mean, I, I've been I know what you're saying. saying. I agree with you. 
Yeah, I, I've been sitting here saying, I'm an American, my family's from Poland, leave me out of some country in the Middle East. I, I am saying I have nothing to do with the Semitic tribes or the peoples. And now somebody's saying, well, how do you consider, well, how do, why do you claim you're a Semite? No, that's not what's happening. Yeah, yeah, of course. All right, let's go on next. Okay, this one's from Ahmed. Uh, the question is, I've always thought settlers were either opportunists or religious fanatics. Is that accurate to say? Are Orthodox Jews part of these settler communities? Can, can I handle this? I know a lot about the settlers. Um, the settlers are not religious fanatics. Zion, religious Zionism, well, Zionism is nationalism. It comes from 19th century nationalism. It's ethnic organic nationalism. Religious Zionism is a combination of religion together with nationalism. The reason Rabbi Abraham Cook, who was the founder of what today is the settlers, who, by the way, should not be blamed for them because he was actually a pacifist. He would not approve of the violence or the militancy that, that goes on today. But he incorporated 19th century, na century nationalism, Hegel, Herder, Bergson, this type of things in his philosophy. And without, without saying where his philosophy comes from, and they incorporate it into their religious ideology. These settlers are nationalist fanatics. They mixed religion with nationalism, which is a very bad combination. You know what happened when they mixed nationalism with socialism? Bad. These guys mix religion with nationalism, also bad. But it's not the religion that uh, drives their fanaticism. It's the nationalism that drives their fanaticism. These guys, you know how, you know how, crazy they are when they, they believe that that israel the state of israel the political entity called the state of israel is well call them god's throne in this world every hand grenade every tank that israel owns is actually holy from a religious perspective because they mix in nationalism and when when they were told that gush katif is being evacuated they their rabbis told them it won't be because god well, this is part of the messianic um, uh, redemption of the world, and God doesn't backtrack on, on, on the, the redemption. And Gush Katif will not be evacuated. These guys did not pack. The soldiers had to actually drag them out of their houses. They, 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 they believed with faith, not Jewish faith, nationalist faith, that Gush Katif will not be um, evacuated. So in short, they are not religious fanatics. I'm a religious fanatic. I am a religious fanatic. I am a religious fanatic. They are not religious fanatics. They are nationalist fanatics. Nationalist fanatics. You know, I, I'd expand that even actually, because when people say settlers, and I think the settlers you're talking about now, also Rabbi Shapiro, are the West Bank settlers. But mm -hmm. I would argue that all, all you know, all Israelis are settlers. I mean, my parents, my grandparents were settlers. They came from the same nationalistic fanaticism that you're talking about, except they did not have the religion. They throw away religion. They said, we're just a nation. But that is what fueled their ability to throw out people from their homes, burn their villages, and take over the land and take their homes, or the ones that they didn't burn. So in other words, that, ex that, that definition ex expands and is appropriate not only for these West Bank uh, fanatics that we're talking about right now, uh, but it, it's true for all Israelis and settle, you know, people talk about illegal settlements. 
there are no settlements that are legal anywhere. Tel Aviv is not a legal settlement. It sits on the, on, on the dis destroyed neighborhoods and uh, 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 Palestinian neighborhoods of Yaffa and other and towns and villages that have been built on you know, Tel Aviv University and the beach and everything. You go there, it's like a graveyard. You know, you're like you're walking on a graveyard. Uh -huh. So there are no legitimate legal settlements anywhere in what is considered the state of Israel. And all Israelis are, are settlers, illegal settlers. And, and I agree with what you said exactly. It's just that the settlers, the early settlers did not have the religion. They only had the nationality. The later ones put on a kippah and the, and the tzitzis and they walk around and, and, and they say that they, they combined the, these two things. I would actually say, now that you mention it, that the uh, secular Zionists were also religious fanatics. Their religion was Zionism. True, yes. Yes. You know, it's just that there are two different versions of religion, like this Catholics and Protestants, they're both Christians. Well, this there is more are, of a fascism, nationalistic fascism, I think. Than, than yeah, well, yeah. that was the Jabotinsky uh, nationalism. Uh, Ben-Gurion had the socialist uh, nationalism. But, but it, was, it, was, it was ethnic nationalism. Yes. And they, the only difference between the settlers and the secular Zionists is that the settlers believe that nationalism is part of their religion of zionism but zionism is really the religion they're practicing even though they call it judaism you know it's like supersessionism yeah yeah you know we never really defined zionism which is interesting i'm looking at the i'm looking at the uh <laughs> at the, some of the chats here a friend of mine jack thomas is uh you know we we, the, we didn't really define what Zionism is, and maybe maybe it's a maybe quickly we can we can just go, you know. To me, Zionism is the is is the ideology that says that uh, that says that all Jews are a nation, their country is Palestine, and the Old Testament is their history, and that kind of legitimizes what Zionists have done and what Israel has done, which is kick out Palestinians, take their place, and say this is our land, our homeland, our country. And somebody said this recently, I think it was Israeli ambassador to the UN or something, he just said it again, you know, this is our deed, you know, the, 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 the Old Testament, the Bible is our deed. That's what Zionism, that's what Zionism is. And, you know, we see the settler colonialism, the racism, the apartheid that it brought about. So therefore it has to be rejected. Yeah, I agree. You know, in ninth, there was a great rabbi, one of the greatest rabbis uh, last uh, 20th century. His name is Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik. He passed away in 1918. And of course, of course, he was a big anti-Zionist. And they came to him, this is early 20th century, and they said, you know, we have good news. It, is, it, it looks like the Zionists will not end up getting a state. So he said, it doesn't matter if they get a state. They already won because they convinced many Jews that the Jews are a nation. Zionism, I wrote in my book, is based on three things. One, nationalization, that the Jews are a nationality. That is why Zionism had changed Jewish identity. We're not a nationality, we're religion. Two, Israel is the nation state of that nationality. Those are two separate claims. And the third thing that I say, nationalization, centralization, that Judaism is central, Israel central to it. And three, transformation. That same rabbi said, the Zionists do not want to destroy Judaism in order to make a state. They want to make a state in order to destroy Judaism. That solidifies the idea that the Jews are a nationality. Nationalization, centralization, get a state, and then transformation. Transform the Jews 
from people who self-identify as a religious group who dedicated to God to a national group dedicated to a country. That's Zionism. By the way, what Zionism is not is what Abba Iban and even before the, the diplomats in the early 1970s invented, the right of the Jewish people to self-determination. It is not that. That is a complete uh, attempt at sanitizing, what Zionism, uh, of concealing what Zionism really is. Zionism is not uh, a self-determination movement of the Jewish people. I'm a Jewish person. We're not interested in self-determination. Second of all, um, they're, they're only the Zionists. They're not the Jews. It's a self-determination movement to the Zionists. But even so, it's more than self-determination. Um, it's self-determination in a particular place. It's taking a particular land. Self-determination, you're talking about, let's say, in the United States. We, we lived here, and we didn't want to be ruled by other people. That's not what happened with the Zionists. They not. said, we are a nation. We are taking that land, you know? Yeah. I see somebody ask, well, why did they choose Israel if they hated Jews? Do you know why they chose Israel or Palestine? There was no Israel in those days. You know why? Actually, the religious Zionists, or Rabbi Rhinus, who was the head of the religious Zionists in those days, um, did not want Palestine. He wanted the Uganda program. The religious Jews said, look, all we need is a place to live safely. So let's go to Uganda. They were not interested. But Herzl said, Herzl was a very, very clever um, propagandist. Herzl said, listen, we're different than all other countries. We're not going to expand organically. We need Jews to move to our country. If you want to to enlist the Jews, you have to tap into their, their values. You have to tap into their desires. Yeah, Talk, uh, go to Palestine, the Holy Land, that means something to them. Yeah. So it's much better for marketing. They did it for marketing to the Jews. Of course. He didn't care about anything holy. He was the most unholy person in the world. I'm telling you as a rabbi that between Herzl and let's say a regular average law-abiding Muslim, you know, that doesn't worship idols, that's a regular guy, that Muslim is much closer to God than Theodore Herzl was. Clearly, Norton, no question about it. Norton, do you want to try a definition, of, uh, a definition of Zionism? Well, first I want to say that uh, uh, to underline something that uh, Rabbi Shapiro just said, uh, it was just recently, within the last two months, the... Uh, Israeli ambassador to the United States who uh, is now retiring, Dinan, he went to the United, not a religious person at all, but he went to the United Nations and he waved in front of the uh, delegates at the United Nations a Bible and he said, this is our deed, uh, what he was saying. And he said very directly what some others have said, that uh, uh, God has given us, the Jews, an eternal deed to uh, this land of, 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 of Israel. And this, of course, was not a religious Jew or a believing Jew who was saying it. Yeah, of course not, yeah. So that underlines. But it's their religion. I think we have defined Zionism to a, a we, we've defined it in, in, in this discussion. Rabbi Shapiro defined it in terms of uh, 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 Judaism and uh, trying to remake Jews. He, he find it in that sense. And then 
uh, the uh, Israeli basic law or the Israeli uh, national law that passed two years ago also defines it as uh, the nation state of the Jews. You know, I see uh, somebody threatened me, it looks like, in the uh, chat. Yeah, we kicked him out a long time ago. Oh, okay. See, you, you're talking about Zionists who don't like uh, anti-Zionist Jews? What's going on a, over here? He claimed to have been an anti-Zionist, but he's a... Uh, anyway, we kicked him out. Go ahead, Nijibia, what's next? Okay, we've got a question from uh, Rima. The question is... Would you say there are parallels between the supremacist, segregationist nature of national Judaism and white nationalists? I, I would say there is, absolutely. I think racism, racism is racism and supremacy is supremacy and uh, fascism is fascism. The fact that these yeah. guys tend to be Jews doesn't, um, I don't think it makes it any difference. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, Zionism is much more uh, supremacist than white nationalism because white nat normal nationalism, which is perhaps bad enough as it is, it says that look, we have a country, we're we're exclusive because we're British people, but anybody could be a British person as long as you're a citizen. Now you're part of the club, right? It's like uh, nationalism. You're a member of the club. You're you're good. But white nationalism or black nationalism says that your, your exclusivity is your race. It's what you are. That's a different type of nationalism. Zionist nationalism is a third type of nationalism where they invented a race. Jews are not a race. They in, everybody knows what a black person is. So I say, all black people, black nationalists. I'm Marcus Garvey, right? Whatever. I'm a white nationalist. We know what a white person is. Now you take white people, make it nationalism. We know what a British person is. It could be British nationalism. But the Jewish people, they invented this nationality or this race. And they said, let's become one nationality and then we'll make nationalism. They don't even have a definition of what a Jew is. There's no common denominator, according to the Zionists, to all Jews to define what they are. There isn't. They, the Ben-Gurion said, Jews have no definition. Those are the real Jews, that's what he said. The real Jews have no definition. Yeah. How do you know you're a Jew if you have no definition? The whole thing is not logic. It's all, it's all sophistry. It's all faith. It's a religion. It's, a, it's mythology. It's a faith system. It's, it's, it's an ideology. It's the Ziosphere. It's like a bizarro world. Everything about it is so out of sync with reality. Everything, even their names. Wouldn't you agree that for a very long time, for a decades, if not over a century, more than, than, than that, different Jews have defined in different and varied ways what is a Jew? Yeah, the only problem is none of those have been consistent because in order to define a Jew, if, if that means you have to find a characteristic that all Jews have, and if you have that characteristic, you're a Jew, and there is no such thing. It is not cultural because Ivanka Trump and an Ethiopian Jew does not have the same culture. It's not a race. We have Jews of all races. It's, it's nothing. There is nothing in common except according to what the Jewish law defines a Jew as. But there is no definition. Jabotinsky said the Jews are a race. 
but that's ridiculous. So they asked him, what about the Sephardic Jews? He says, oh, they're not Jews, they're Negroes. And that wasn't Jabotinsky, I'm sorry, Jabotinsky said Jews are race, and Moses Hess did as well. They asked uh, 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 Solomon, a uh, uh, Hebrew University biologist, what about the, uh, the um, Sephardic Jews? He says, no, they're Negroes. They have an elongated skull, they're Arab half-castes. So they're not really Jews. Um, because if a Jew is a race, it has to be the same race. If a Jew is a culture, it has to be the same culture. If a Jew is food and chicken soup, that means if you have a Chinese guy that eats chicken soup, now he becomes Jewish. Or if I stop eating sick chicken soup, I'm not. They have tried to define themselves in different ways, but none of these ways have been intellectually sustainable. That's my claim. And Ben-Gurion, when they asked him, define it. He said, Jews have no definition. Look, according to Israeli law, Miko, the law of return, all right, the law of return means that if you're a Jew, you're entitled to come and become a citizen of Israel, right? So they have to define a Jew. So they define a Jew by their own criteria. Now tell me how the following makes sense, all right? It's certainly not a religion because atheist Jews are entitled to the law of return, right? But Christian Jews, if you are a Jew that practices Christianity, that believes Jesus is the Messiah, you are not entitled to the law of return. You are not considered a Jew. They had two Supreme Court cases. The famous one was a brother Daniel, a Carmelite monk, who was born Jewish. He was actually not an anti-Semite. He helped hide Jews during the Holocaust. He wanted to come to Israel on the law of return. The Supreme Court ruled he's born Jewish. He helped Jews. He's no anti-Semite. But because he believes in Jesus, he's not considered Jewish, so he can't go to the Lord. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't believe in any God, you're an atheist, then you are a Jew. But if you believe in a God, just if you believe in a Messiah, just not the Messiah that I believe in, if you believe in a God, maybe or maybe not, it's the God I believe in. But if you believe in, then you're not Jewish at all. But if you believe in none of this, then you are Jewish if you're an atheist. It's there's completely case, inconsistent. There's also a bizarre case of a young American who came and wanted to serve in the army, and the mother was arguably Jewish, but then they, just, they investigated and found that the mother was not Jewish because the mother's mother was not Jewish, the mother's father was Jewish, something like that. Anyway, and they refused him. They wouldn't let him serve in the military. Right. Now, now this idea that if your mother is Jewish, that makes you Jewish, that is Jewish religious doctrine. They're accepting Jewish religious halacha doctrine, but they don't believe in it. It's a secular state. Atheists who don't, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. It is completely inconsistent. It's like Elon Papa said, they believe, they don't believe in God, but they believe that God gave them the land. That's right. A hundred percent true. Jamil, do we have time for some more? Or how are we doing on time? Yeah, sure. We've got uh, nearly 20 minutes. If we uh, want to go the full two hours. Yeah, sure. You got, you got some, I think we got some energy left, right? Uh, okay. This one is from uh, uh, Flavia and it's uh, Joe Biden is said to be a Zionism supporter. Do you think Democrats will advance in defunding APAC? Do you think defunding Israel by America will be a great step to a two-state solution and to stop annexations? I think that whether America should fund Israel or defund Israel has nothing to do with whether that will result in a two-state solution. It should depend on what's best for American interests. This country is the United States of America, and we should be interested in America's interests first, pardon the terrible expression. But um, the idea that America should fund or shouldn't fund Israel based upon um, things that are not America's interests, that does not make any sense. That's due to um, APAC, 
the, the look, there's big pharma, there's big tobacco, and there's big Zionism. All three of those things I'm against. Well, well said, Norton, go ahead. The United States in the foreseeable future is not going to defund the state of Israel. Uh, that seems to be, at least we can say, a near certainty. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen uh, with Biden. Uh, and uh, in, if Biden is elected, the, if Biden is elected, then the next president. Now, whether it should happen, that's another issue. But uh, there is no indication that uh, funding will even be decreed. There's no indication that funding of Israel by the United States government will be decreased. I would hope it would be decreased, but uh, as I said, that's another issue. That's my hope. Uh, that's a different issue. You know, I would say, first of all, it's not up to the United States to defund APAC. APAC is a, is a lobby. But uh, in terms of the state of Israel, look, they are, to, to sound a little bit optimistic, there are more voices in Congress now that are calling to at least condition aid to Israel with Israeli compliance with international law. Problem with that, and, and, and these are good, important, these are, these are, these are important voices. I mean, this is, this, is a very, this is an important development. Um, but that is not, uh, it's got nothing to do with the two-state solution. It's got nothing to do, you know, the, the entire state of Israel needs to be treated like South Africa, apartheid South Africa was treated like um, slavery and Jim Crow were treated in this country. It, it, is a, it is a regime that is racist and violent. And until the United States recognize, or the countries of the world, I should say, not only the United States, are willing to, 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 to um, acknowledge this, then there's not going to be a change. I don't think there's going to be a change either. And that's going to take some time. It's going to take a lot of work. Um, and hopefully that will lead to the, you know, the promise that, the, the, that we all hope for, which is a free Palestine. So, you know. Than a two-state solution anyway. Yeah, so two state. Involved in that question. Of course. We're talking about a two-state solution. As far as I'm concerned, we're talking about a dead letter that's been a dead letter from the time it was first officially proposed in the Oslo Accords. Of course. The two-state solution assumes that there could be a democratic, legitimate Israel that will negotiate with the Palestinians to reach a fair solution. That's an impossibility because the state of Israel is a violent, racist entity that will never compromise because it's based on a Zionist ideology, which is that they, the land belongs to them or to me and to us, I mean, to the Jews. So, I mean, it's an impossibility. The two-state solution is an impossibility. Um, so if we're talking about justice, we need to talk about justice in all of Palestine and a free Palestine and the right of return, those are the terms. If we're talking about Israel, then it doesn't really matter. There's no such thing as a two-state. It's just, it's just hyperbole. But I think, I think what Rabbi Shapiro said is, 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 is shortened to the point. It has to depend on American, an American interest. And I think right now, sadly, American interests point to continuation of this, uh, of this regime. So we're gonna, to, we're gonna have to work on that. <clears throat> Okay, um, this next one's from David. How can Christian Zionists be made to understand how political Zionism goes against the grain of what we are supposed 
what are supposed to be fundamental Christian values like love, peace, brotherhood, etc. Christian Zionism's affinity for Israel is not based on love for the Jews. It's based on the idea that the, at the end, most of them believe, not all of them believe this, they have disagreements amongst themselves, but many of them believe that the Jews uh, at the end of days are going to either, if they end up, if they will go to Israel, they will end up converting, getting killed or burning in hell. Those are the options. Uh, many of these evangelical Christians are real anti-Semites. They don't like Jews. But we are um, uh, puppets uh, that need to be manipulated in order to usher in the uh, coming of the final coming of their Messiah and the end of days. So they don't really care too much whether Israel has to do with love or peace. They just need it for their... Uh, for the unfolding of their apocalypse and their end of days narrative. Yeah, well, let me say something more about the theology. And, and, and it is so, as Rabbi Shapiro said, that um, uh, uh, evangelicals who are usually designated as Christian Zionists, that there, there's some division. There are divisions among evangelicals. Uh, all of them are not. Christian Zionists. There's a minority that is not Christian Zionists. But the theology, the major theology of the Christian Zionists is that uh, uh, Jews must have and will have control of the Holy Land as they define the Holy Land until they, and uh, before the second coming of Jesus. That's number one. Number two, before the second coming of Jesus, we'll have the Antichrist. And when the Antichrist comes, then even the great majority of the Jews who then are in the Holy Land will follow the Antichrist. Then we'll have the Apocalypse, and uh, only the real believers in Jesus as the Messiah, uh, they will have, be raptured, they'll be lifted up somehow to the sky to watch all of the destruction. There will then be destruction, and then Jesus will come. But there will only be a very small number, very small number of Jews who had been uh, there before the Antichrist came, who will have converted before this, but they will be killed. So that's the theology. And so that theology, as Rabbi Shapiro has just said, that theology doesn't have to do necessarily with love of Jews or not love of Jews. Uh, they have a theology that supports the state of Israel because, again, the first step is that before the second coming, and actually before the coming of the Antichrist, Jews either have to be the total population of the Holy Land, or they have to be in total control of the Holy Land. Like uh, Rabbi Shapiro earlier said, they're happy to take their money one way or the other. So if these guys want to give Israel money, Netanyahu, you know, he spoke at the Christians United for Israel, you know, online, you know, virtually, of course, but... You know, he was saying how now we have control of all these holy places. And since these holy places are also holy places to you, the Christians, you know, we are now protecting these places for you, the Christians, and for our joint civilization and all of this. And, 
and at the end of the day, um, it's 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 ridiculous. I mean, they send they, they do they have these programs where they volunteer on Israeli army bases, so they get to go and they serve and they sweep the army bases and they learn how to shoot guns and, and all kinds of ridiculous things. And the truth is, like you said, these guys are basically anti-Semitic because it's all about either converting or killing the Jews at the end. And the Israelis are looking at them like a bunch of lunatics, but if they want to throw money at us, hey, we're not going to not take it. Which is yeah, exactly you know, how the Jewish... Right. I'm sorry. There, there, there has been a change, though, um, from uh, some of the major Christian Zionist leaders. Uh, uh, the t one of the top leaders, Hagee, is someone who has changed. Hagee, who has acquired a great deal of money uh, from uh, the Israeli government for supporting Israel, so the money goes both ways. Hagee, some time ago, changed, and Hagee said, no, a majority of the Jews are not going to be killed when the apocalypse comes. Why? Because somehow God has Jews in a special category. Well, thank God for that. Uh, what's next, Jamil? This is, the, this, is like, this is like science fiction. This is crazy. Yeah, Zionism really is like science fiction. Good, Jamil. Okay, this one is from Jack. The question is, what are the panel's opinions on BDS? So BDS is the boycott, divestment, and sanction um, tactic and movement. All right, this is my territory. So I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the liberty to start. I think that uh, the, one of the biggest gifts that the world was given from Palestinians is the call for boycott, divestment, and sanctions. It is the path, a clear path to the liberation of Palestine. It is a clear path to the decolonization of Palestine. It is a clear path with incredibly reasonable dedicated and remedial um, demands, which are to basically allow the refugees to return, which has been enshrined already in international law, and the military occupation, parts of Palestine that are still governed by the Israeli military, and equal rights uh, for Palestinians uh, with Israelis. Um, I think it is, it's, it's, um, it is the silver bullet. It is exactly what is needed. It is exactly what the world needs to adopt and support. And I think it is, it is um, clear that that is how we overcome all the challenges that have been coming up that we've been discussing today, that we discussed in other panels that are being discussed, you know, all over the world about Palestine. This is the key because once you isolate Israel, once you impose boycott, once you demand sanctions, just like it's being demanded by, you know, uh, other countries violate international law that will push that snowball to a point where it rolls down and really there's nothing left of the narrative, there's nothing left. It kind of deflates the legitimacy, that deflates the, the Zionist narrative. Uh, because none of these things can happen, not, Israel will never allow these things to happen, so it's gotta be, it, it is exactly the process that we wanna see to decolonize, de-Zionize Palestine and create an environment where Israelis and Palestinians can live in a society, in a state that is um, that is democratic, that 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 uh, that provides for equality, and that provides for the protection of all the different minorities, those are exactly the things that need to happen. So I believe that that is the one call that we should all support. It is the call that we should all demand that our elected officials support. 
Um, it is the one that starts with not buying the avocados or the dates, but goes all the way to demanding sanctions, demanding that Israel is, is, uh, is kicked out of the World Cup, it's kicked out of, of, of academic and cultural and sporting events and, and organizations to the point that it's isolated and, and, and is forced to do what needs to happen, which is the collapse of, of, of the apartheid regime. So I am 100%, and Rabbi Shapiro and I have had some interesting conversations about, about, about this as well. But go ahead, gentlemen, please. Norton, go ahead. Well, since I'm looking at my watch and there are only two minutes, minutes left, I hesitate because it's not that I'm in total disagreement with what you said, but let me put it this way. I'm not nearly so optimistic about BDS, about the BDS movement as you are. I think that it has made some forward progress, but I really think that in order to, that a prime requisite that we haven't mentioned in this discussion, a prime requisite in any move to try to create a democratic state in Palestine, Israel, or Israel-Palestine, that will depend to a great extent upon a human rights campaign by Palestinians and a human rights campaign that emphasizes as a first human right, something that is usually not emphasized as a first human right by the BDS campaign, and that is the right of the right for Palestinians to vote. In other words, that's what the human rights campaign, I think, has to emphasize. That has great appeal around the world. It will take a very long time for that to make progress. But that's, I, that's, that's the kind that's, of... But that's the equality part. That the, the equality part and ending the, the military occupation is precisely that. It includes that in it. Isn't, can we take for granted that equality means that everybody can vote? Well, if we had more time to discuss it, we'll, we'll, we'll we always have a time. webinar on just BDS. That's not a bad idea. Jamil, write that down. That's not a bad idea. Rabbi Shapiro, you want to say something? I mean, the Orthodox community has boycotted Israeli products, Zionist products. I know many of the ultra-Orthodox communities won't buy um, products from Zionist companies anyway. Do you want to say something to that effect? Reason. I mean, as far as why the BDS is effective or counterproductive, I don't really have an opinion on that. I just don't know. I just don't have enough information. You guys have much more information about that than I do. One thing I will say, though, that the idea of boycotting Israel in order to uh, pressure it into doing what you want is certainly not anti-Semitic. That people say that I will say certainly not anti-Semitic. I agree 100%. I think that's a great. I think that's a great. I think that's a great point because um, uh, my friend Jack, who asked the question, who's out there, and many many of us who deal with this issue and who support BDS, um, one way or another, uh, face that. You know, that's a big claim. The claim is that somehow you know Chuck Schumer and all these great Zionists have said that it's anti-Semitic and so forth. Well, on the contrary, I think that, if anything, uh, Jews that are engaged in BDS are, are much closer to Zionism. Because w why would a Jew boycott Israel as opposed to any other bad country? Well, the answer is because you're Jewish and you feel a responsibility. If, if, if 
that's why you're doing it. And you feel that you have responsibility. Now you're Israeli, Nico. So you're, you, you don't, you don't count. You're really Israeli. But if you're an American Jew, you have nothing to do with Israel. And you feel because I'm Jewish, therefore I have a, a responsibility for what Israel does. No, get that out of your head. No, it's if not because you're Jewish and you have responsibilities. It's because you're a human being and you're human and you care about equal rights. I like mean, it's not only, it doesn't only apply, and that's exactly the point. It doesn't only apply to Israel. There's a call for boycott by Palestinians calling on all people to so support freedom and justice to boycott Israel. It has nothing to do with being Jewish. But that's a different story. But yeah, there are people who say, because I'm Jewish, therefore I need to... No, no, no. Israel. Those no. people... Those people are, are closer to Zionism than they are to um, yeah. anti-Zionism. Miko, have another webinar on BDS. I think that's a great idea. We, okay. we were looking, we're already, uh, we'll take a look at some dates and, and we can have a conversation about that. I think it's a great idea. Anyway, we should probably wrap up, Jamil, right? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're two hours in at this point. Thank uh, Rabbi Shapiro and uh, Professor Mazvinsky again so much. It's a great pleasure to talk to you guys. We should do this again, either like this or just to meet at some point when we can meet again and, 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 and talk. I really appreciate your time, your, your, your incredible amount of knowledge. You're willing to contribute and to share your time and knowledge with everybody and thank the participants and all the people who asked questions. And thanks Jamil and Michael for you know, doing all the work behind the scenes. Thank you so right. much for having me. Yes, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, bye everybody. Thank all you. Right, guys. See you everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks. See ya.